Judges chapter number six. Turn there with me this morning, if you would, please. Judges chapter number six. And um, I'm going to go to a passage of scripture. And, and as you're going there, I want to I want to go to just take a look at chapter seven as well and just read a, a verse for you. I am... Um, study in my, in my Bible right now. I got back from a trip from Israel a few weeks ago, and I've been studying, just going through our pictures and the places that we visited, and I'm going back and looking at all of the places that we had visited and seen. And Judges chapter number seven, uh, if you look in verse number one, there was a man by the name of Gideon. We're going to look at him in Judges chapter six. And the Lord told him to uh, pitch beside the well Herod, uh, H-A-R-O-D, Herod. And, and uh, we visited this, this well, this place um, that Gideon went to. And this is a place where God is looking to put an army together with Gideon, but he's not wanting a large army to defeat the uh, Midianites. He just wants a small group of people. And it tells us why here in verse number two, and the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. You know, you would think, well, that doesn't make sense. They're going to go to war. They should have as many as possible. But God says, I, I don't want there to be this many people, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. And so God used this location as a place to, to really wean down the, the, the men that were with Gideon because God desired for Gideon to take these men and defeat the Midianites but he was afraid that if they did, and there was a large amount of them, they would say, look at us. Look, look what we've done. Look how mighty we are. Look, look at uh, uh, our strength. And God said, I, I just want a, a small group of people so that when they win, and they were going to win because God was going to give the victory, they would say this, it was only because of God. It's only because of God. And there was just a small amount of people there. And what they did was they sat down and, and, and uh, by this well, and, and uh, they would either drink with their hand or they'd go and just lap it like a, like a dog out of water. And, and uh, uh, the, the Lord then sent home uh, a, a large amount. And there's just a few hundred men that Gideon then takes and he takes them to this battle and there's a great victory that comes. But in chapter number six of Judges, chapter number six, and I want to look at this passage of scripture. This is by going and studying this well and this location that we visited and caused me to go to chapter number seven. And I just went back to the, the story of Gideon. Why, what was God looking for? Why, why during the, the Judges you would find you would find judges that would come in and lead the people to great victories against their enemies. But you would find this, that they would have great victories. They trust in God. And then, then you'd find the children of Israel not trusting in God. And, and this went back and forth all through the book of the judges. And really it went forth all through the Kings as well. And you would have at times they trust God. And then you'd have times where, the Bible says that God was displeased with them. They, they, they stopped trusting him. And we look at the Israelites and the reality is this, I think all of us could say there's probably times in our lives we're the same way. There's times that we're on fire for the Lord. We, we trust him. And then there's other times that come and 
situations come into our life, or, or maybe we just get complacent and we fall away from the Lord. And, and we don't have that passion for him like maybe we once did. And things get more important than our relationship with the Lord. And we look back and say, boy, it's been a long time since I've fellowship with the Lord. It's a long time since I read his words, since I prayed, since I fervently prayed. And then we find ourselves, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in sin, involved in things that we know we shouldn't be involved in. And this pattern takes place in the lives of Israel. And really for many of us, we could say this pattern takes place in our life as well. In Judges chapter number six, I want you to see it in in uh, verse number 11, an angel of the Lord comes and calls Gideon. And um, he says, I, 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 wanna, I, want, I want you to come here and I want to speak with you. I want to hide it from the Midianites. In verse number 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be his miracles, which our fathers told us of saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us in the hands of the Midianites. And that's pretty brave of Gideon. Gideon says, Lord, if you're with me and, and you say that you are, then why am I finding myself here? I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite and, and, and we're not free. I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where the, the Midianites are, are, are over us and they've dis- defeated us and, and we're their servants. And if you're with me, Lord, then why are all these circumstances around me? Why do they look the way they look? You ever thought about that? You ever been there? He, he's not doubting that God is real. He's questioning, do you care? That's, that's what he's saying. He, he didn't say God, he's having a conversation about God. He knows that God is real, but he's doubting that God is there. He's doubting that God is, is, is caring. He says this again, look with me in verse 13. And, and Gideon says, oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? What he's saying is, if you're there, if you're there, if you care, why are we in this situation? You ever find yourself in a place where you wonder, does God care? Does he care? I'm not doubting God. What I'm questioning is, am I important enough that he cares about me? Is he just busy with so many other things and so many other people? Because I, I look at situations over here and people, and it seems like everything's going well for them. So maybe God's just more concerned or they're more important than I am. This is probably something that is human nature for us. In chapter number four and chapter number five, if you can go back to chapter number three of the book of Judges, you'd find the children of Israel, do they do evil on the side of the Lord? Gideon doesn't understand yet why God is doing what God's doing. God is doing what he's doing because he's trying to get the children of Israel's attention. It's not that he's forgotten them. It's that they forgot him. It's not that he doesn't want to bless them. It's they stopped worshiping him. 
There was a covenant that was made and, and he promised to be their God. He promised to protect them, but they've not, they've not done their end of the bargain here. They're, they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping Baal. And in Israel, there's, there is, is uh, groves that are set up and altars that are set up. And these groves and altars, they're not set up where the one true God is worshiped. They're set up where the golden calf is worshiped. And, and I think it was last week, we talked about the altar that was in Dan and that was in Bethel that the king of Israel set up. And these, these altars were places where people were sacrificing to Baal and to other gods. And God's not pleased. And God is coming to a place here in the judges before the kings even begin to rule. He finds this, that Israel still continually has a problem with worshiping other gods. They turn from God. They turn back from God. We find the Moabites. If you were to study the book of Judges, the Moabites at one time ruled over the people of Israel. God would allow them to come in and, 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 and disrupt the children of Israel trying to get their attention. The Canaanites did the same thing. Now the Midianites. And, and if you study the, the history here through the Bible, you would find that, that nation after nation, God allowed to come in and disrupt what was happening in Israel for the intent of getting Israel's attention so they would turn back to God. Over and over, Israel would do right and then they'd turn from the Lord. Look with me in verse number 25 of the same chapter. The Bible says this, and it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of the seven years old, throw down the altar of Baal and thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the rock, the top of this rock. And he ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. What God is saying to, to Gideon, throw down the altars of Baal and put back the altar to myself. And I want you to place the sacrifice in that altar. And I want you to get back to worshiping the one true God. This was his desire for, for Gideon. And we find in verse number six, look there with me if you would please. Verse six of chapter six, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now stay with me on this, please. It might not be the typical Sunday morning message. I, I, I want you to see this thought though. The people here are crying to the Lord because of the condition they find themselves in. Gideon talks to the Lord and he says, you're with me, you say this, but look at the condition we find ourselves in. What happened? What happened was this, the, if we were to read previously, the Midianites, they came through with all of their animals. They came through with their army behind them and before them. And he came into the land of Israel and here's harvest time. And so all their fields are full of harvest. And what the Midianites do is they drive all of their cattle into Israel's harvest and they literally devour all of, all of Israel's harvest, their wheat and their corn and everything that Israel needs to sustain themselves the cattle come in of Midianites like grasshoppers, the Bible says, they come in and they just totally wipe out everything that Israel is dependent upon. And now they find themselves crying. 
Now what's going on at the same time, what's going on in Israel is this, they're worshiping other gods. They're sinning. They've turned from the one true God and they're worshiping Baal and they're worshiping other idols. But it's not the worshiping of other idols. It's not the sin that they find themselves in repenting. It's the, it's, it's the poverty now they find themselves in. They, they cry out to God because they don't like the situation they find themselves in because of what the Midianites did to them, not because they say, oh, look at our heart. We've sinned against God. What they're looking at is we don't have the substances that we once depended upon. We don't have the food. We don't have the resources we once had. Now they turn back to God. We find this in verse number six. And the Bible tells us in verse number eight that the prophet is sent. The Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you forth out of Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the oppressed you and drave them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. If you're not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And then he calls Gideon. He desires for Gideon to do something about this. And so we have the people that are upset, not because they found themselves in a place where they've turned from God, but they find themselves in a place where they don't have the resources anymore. I would submit to you this morning, they're upset about the wrong thing. They're looking at their life and saying, I don't have what I want. So we're upset instead of saying, I've forsaken God. And they cry out to God, but they're not crying out to God in repentance. They're crying out to God because they find themselves in a place they don't like. The Israelites here, they refuse to acknowledge their rebellion. They, they refuse to acknowledge the real problem. They refuse to look at the situation and say, this is because God is bringing us back to him because of our sin. Instead, they say, this is because the Midianites are too mighty. This is because we're too small and we can't defend ourselves. They think it's because of the, su the substance uh, or the oppression of Midian is why they find themselves here, not because they've sinned and turned themselves away from God. You see the difference? God sends judgment. And God sends judgment to his people, not just to punish his people, but he sends the judgment here as correction. So he finds his people turning back to him. Hear me this morning, God desires to fellowship with his people. That's what he's after. That's what he desires. But sin separates that. God, God made mankind in his image. And the reason why God made mankind in his image is because God desired the fellowship with man. You don't find in the Bible where God took animals and walked side by side by an with animals and fellowshiped in the cool of the day with, with, with animals in the garden. He did it with mankind because he put his spirit inside of man and he, he fellowshiped with man. He desired worship from man and, 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 and that was what God's desire. But sin wrecked all of that. 
And no longer then could God dwell with man because of sin. And so there had to be a payment for that sin. And we're going to look at that in the next coming weeks. That payment was his son, Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful time of year to to talk about Jesus and why he came. And the reason for Christmas is not because of gifts and not because of trees, although we love all those things. But the reason of Christmas was this, that God came to reconcile mankind back to himself or redeem you back to him. There was a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. You see, God, from the beginning, always desired to fellowship with you. And sin has always been a wedge between that fellowship. And we find here in Judges chapter 6, God is trying to get a hold of his people. He's trying to get their attention. He, he withdraws his hand. He, he isn't, he isn't uh, uh, um, uh, punishing them by, by sending necessarily the Midianites. The Midianites are coming because he's withdrawn this hand of protection. And when God draws his, withdraws his hand of protection, then, then anything, any enemy can come in. And that's where Israel finds himself. God has withdrawn his hand of protection and he allows this enemy to come in. And I want, you, I want you to look at something today, and I want you to understand this thought. In verse number seven, look with me here. He, it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. They cried and he heard them. But I want you to, I want you to take some thoughts and notes down and mark these things in your heart today, God requires more than tears. My title and message today is God requires more than tears. I've, those of you that have children, you know, sometimes when you kids get in trouble, they, they cry. All right. How many of you parents, you ever disciplined the kids and they cried? Huh? How many of you, you're smart enough to know they're not crying because they're sorry for what they did. They're, they're crying because they don't want to get in trouble, right? They're crying because they got caught or they're crying because they don't want to be punished. They're not necessarily crying tears of repentance, but then other times you can tell there's times that they come in and they're sorrowful. They're truly repentant of what they've done. They've got tears and that those tears are, I'm truly sorry for what I've done. But just because you shed tears, it doesn't necessarily mean you're sorry. And here in verse number six, the God hears their cry because he loves them. But their cry he hears, you see, they cried unto the Lord because of Midianites, not because of their sin. God requires more than tears. I want you to see this morning, I want you to write these things in your heart. I want you to see what God requires. Look with me in verse number 10. He sends a prophet. In verse eight and verse nine, and God is going to reveal what his desire is. He says in verse number 10, I said unto you, I am the Lord, your God, fear not the gods of the Amorites. I want you to write this down. God requires trust in him. 
His, 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 his uh, asking is that, that, that you trust him. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your might and lean not unto your what? own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Trust him when life is difficult. God is desiring for the people that no matter where they find themselves to trust God. And God's desire is for you to be the same way no matter where you find yourself in life. You know what God desires for you to do? Trust him. He says, I don't want you to fear the Amorites. Don't fear other gods. Don't fear other people. He wants his people to live a life that he, they are trusting him. No matter what happens, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what circumstance you are in, God desires for you to trust him, not to walk with the spirit of fear. If we're not careful, even Christians can be fearful all the time, worried all the time. And God is a God who loves his children, who answers their prayer, who has promised to meet their needs. You know what his desire is to meet the, his children's needs so those that aren't his children say, boy, you've got a great God. He's not wanting his children to walk around not trusting him, walking around acting like their needs are never met, walking around in fear of everything in life. God desires for you to live a life not of great substance. You don't have to have things to trust God. You can have nothing but still trust God. And that's where he puts you at. That's where he wants you to be. It's easy to trust him when everything is right. It's easy to trust him when everybody's healthy. It's easy to trust him when at the end of the month, there's still money in the bank account. It's easy to trust him when you get up every day and you go to a job, you know that you're gonna bring a paycheck home. It's easy to trust him when everybody gets along. But you know where God wants you to trust him? When it's difficult. He wants you to trust him when the substance is gone. He wants you to trust him when, 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 when it's difficult and, and it seems hopeless. Those are the times that God says, I don't, I don't want you just to cry tears. I want you to, in those tears, trust me that I'm going to deliver you through all of those things. Trust him in all your thoughts. God desires you to trust him in his word. In verse number 25, the Bible says this, and this is really the, the crutch of all the issues. They keep going back to altars of Baal. They keep going back and worshiping other gods. And, and these are gods, uh, they say, give, uh, give us your, your earrings and your gold and, and, and we're gonna make a God out of that. You, you would think they'd say, well, we just made that God and it can't be God. But this just shows you how foolish worshiping other gods really is. And so they, they, they give all their gold, they make a God, and they say, now this is a God, we're gonna worship him. And they keep doing this. And, and, and it's a spirit, you, you see this in religion today, it's that same spirit of, of Baal. It's, it's satanic worship. And, and anything, anything that pulls you away from your confidence in God is idolatry. Because that's what Baal, that's the, the spirit of Baal and, 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 and 
worshiping other gods, what does that do? It pulls you away from your confidence in God. What did the king, uh, 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 the king in Israel, when he created the altar in Dan and in Bethel, what was the purpose of that? He puts a golden calf there and he says, this is the God that delivered us out of Egypt. This, this is the God that's gonna protect us. The, what is he saying is, is we don't have confidence in the one true God anymore. We're putting our confidence in something else. When Moses went to the mountain and and they, he was gone for 40 days and the children of Israel said, he's gone and who's going to lead us? And, and, and they take and they make that, that golden calf and they say to that golden calf, this is the God that's going to protect us. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. What were they doing? They were pulling their confidence away from the one true God and putting their confidence in something else. And, and that's what the spirit of Baal does. It causes you to doubt God and doubt his care for you and doubt his love for you and, and pull pulls confidence away from God and puts confidence in something else. And that's why God rejects that. That's when the enemy comes in in a crisis time. When there's crisis in our life, Satan comes in. You ever have doubt? Isn't it seem like every accident, every place of terror in our life, it seems like the enemy comes in and places doubt in our mind? If God cared, you wouldn't find yourself here. If God loves you, now he doesn't have to get you to doubt God. He just gets you to doubt your confidence in God. If, if God cares, then you, you wouldn't have this issue. We, we have college students. I saw a couple of the college students here today, and we had some here last week. And you know what God will get you to do? You're off to Bible college, and you're off wanting to serve the Lord and, and train for the ministry. You know, what, you know what'll happen is there'll be some financial problems come, and you know what Satan will say? If, if God really wanted you to do this, then your bill would be paid, and you wouldn't have any problems, so maybe God doesn't want you to do this. It takes his confidence away from God. Listen to me, God can pay your bill. <laughs> Comes down to the end of the month, and things aren't making ends aren't, aren't meeting and, and, and you wonder if God cares, then, then why, 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 don't we, why do we have this issue? Where is God? And that's what the enemy, that spirit of Baal, you know what eventually it says, where is your God is what that spirit of Baal says. You lose your job and the enemy says, where's your God? Sickness comes and I've talked to George Sears a couple times. He's dealt with cancer with his wife. And it's human to say, why, God? Why? Are you there? Maybe you're in a situation where there's failed relationships and you're saying, God, I don't understand. And the enemy comes in this crisis time. And in that crisis time, he gets you to doubt God. He gets you to doubt that you can have confidence in God. And he pulls that confidence away from God. Why would God allow this is the question that he places in your mind. And you find yourself then doubting God. And God says, you know what, tears, tears for Israel, that's not what I'm looking after here. What I want you to do is I want you to trust me. You're fearing the gods of the Amorites. You're fearing the gods of these other nations. You're, feeling, you're fearing their armies. You're fearing their substance. I just want you to trust me. God is always looking to bless a remnant that'll trust him. 
That's why in that very next chapter, he says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna let you get the credit for this victory. I'm gonna wean you down to just 300 people and those 300 people are gonna go fight a mighty battle and you're going to, you're going to totally annihilate the Midianites and, 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 and get back everything that they've captured from you. And when this happens, you're gonna see that you can trust God. Be careful. I wanna tell you, church, be careful when the enemy comes in. You, you, you see, this is the time of year. There's great rejoicing, but there's a lot of heartache this time of year as well. There's great rejoicing. There's great time with family. There's great holiday and great Christmas season and Thanksgiving season, but there's also some that look and they're not where they want to be. There's people that find themselves discouraged. They find themselves at a place where it's not exactly the way they want it to be and they find themselves discouraged and the enemy comes in and the enemy says, if God loved you, you would have all of these things. Be careful when the enemy comes in because what'll happen is this, you'll, you'll start to see just like Gideon says here in verse number 13, what does he say? I just don't see you, God. I don't see you working. L listen to me this morning. Hear me well. Christian, Satan wants you to get to the place where you don't see God working in your life. That's where he wants you to see, get to. He's going to magnify every problem. He's going to get you to see not the side that God wants you to see. He wants you to see the, the opposite side where you, you, you say, God, I don't see you here. Let me ask you this. Was God with the children of Israel? Yes, he was with them. He hears their cry. But he says, I want you to trust me. List Baal, that spirit of Baal, it plants that seed of doubt in your mind. And once that seed of doubt is planted in your mind, it begins to cause us to think, God, I'm just not important enough, or you don't care about me, or, or you've given up on me. You begin to doubt God and his goodness and his care for you. And that's exactly where Satan wants you to get to. You know what I find with human beings no matter how old you are, you know what? We want to be accepted, don't we? We want to be liked. Is there anybody in here? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but anybody here just don't care? You don't like anybody? Huh? It's really the opposite. You know, we, we want, I, I got up this morning and got dressed and I brushed my teeth. And one of the reasons I brushed my teeth is because I don't want to offend anybody. I even put a couple squirts of cologne on this morning. Not for my wife. I, we've been married long enough. She's mine. I don't have to win her over anymore, you know? I just don't want to offend anybody. Get up here sweating and I want somebody to say, well, he smelled good. Not my goodness, that guy stinks. Don't get near him. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be liked. You know what God, Baal does, that spirit of Baal? He, he wants you to get to the place where you think that you're not important. God's not worth worshiping because he doesn't care. 
He doesn't really care if you go through misery and go through problems. He doesn't care that the Midianites are controlling you. He doesn't care that you've lost all of your substance. God doesn't care about you because you're just not important. You know what he gets you to think? God doesn't care about me. You lose confidence in him, begin to doubt him. Satan wants to place a foundation in your heart of doubt against God. He, he, he wants to build a foundation. You know, every building has to start with a foundation, right? My, my father, my in-laws, we were there for Thanksgiving and, and they, um, their next door neighbor is, um, my, their, my, my in-law's house, they have like these two little lights that shine and there's like these little sparkles, you know? It's like, as seen on TV thing, you know? That's their decorations. Their neighbors though, it is like, you, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're, they're, Duke Energy sends them uh, a thank you letter for all the electricity they spend for that, that month. I mean, it is, I pulled up, I drove down, I pulled up late at night and it's like, I just pulled up to, to the North Pole, you know? It's like Christmas music playing and it's, it's ridiculous. And they, they're building, I saw this foundation, this big old foundation that all the dirt was in my father-in-law's yard. I said, well, what's going on? He says, he's building a new garage for all of his Christmas stuff. As he's building a garage for his Christmas stuff, this guy's insane. I looked over and I went and there's a foundation there. And sure enough, there's a deep foundation. On top of that foundation, he's gonna build a garage. You know, every building has to have a foundation. Hear me closely. You know what Satan does? Satan wants to set up a foundation in your heart that doubts God. So then he can build upon it. If he can get you to a place where you trust that you don't trust God, if he can get you to a place where you doubt God, when you get to the place where you doubt the confidence of God, now a foundation is laid, he can start to build upon your life. That's what he desires. And as he builds upon your life, more he builds and more it draws you away from God. I've said this to you the last couple of weeks. It's just been in my heart. I just can't conceive of this. As I stood in Dan there in, in, in uh, uh, Northern Israel, we stood at the site of this temple that they built. This was God's chosen people. This is the people that God gave the law to. This is the people God uh, uh, delivered out of, out, of, out of bondage of Egypt. This is the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This, this, this is the stories of David and Solomon. These are the people then that went and began to sacrifice their babies. Groves were planted all around. And you see it here in verse number 25. Groves were planted all around these altars to Baal and, and prostitution took place. They'd come into this temple and worship the Baal and then sacrifice their babies and then commit unthinkable acts in the groves around this temple. You see how far you get from God? when Satan develops and starts that foundation of doubt and then builds upon it and builds upon it and builds upon it, you then get yourself to a place doing things you never thought you would ever do. Participating in things you never thought you'd participate in. Believing lies you never thought you'd believe. And it starts with the foundation of doubt. The spirit of doubt moves in and sets up an altar. And in that place, you no longer trust God. 
You lean to your own understanding. You trust other things. And I want you to see this. I need to hurry here. Secondly, God requires more than tears. Number one, he requires trust. Number two, he requires obedience. Look with me in verse number 10. He says this, and I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites. Or, or what he's saying is trust me. Don't fear the gods of the Amorites. Trust me in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. What is he saying? What I require is obedience and you've not obeyed me. Baal sets in your heart that God is not what the Bible says he is. Oh, please get that today. You know what the spirit of Baal, he, he gets you to doubt. God's not the God the Bible says he is. No, God says that he's promised to meet all of your needs. He's promised that, that uh, Romans 8, 28, he, he promised that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. You know what the spirit of Baal says? You can't trust him. Don't obey him. You see, it's difficult to obey someone that you don't trust. And so he starts with this foundation of, of not trusting him, not trusting the Lord. And then he goes to the place where if I can't trust him, then I can't obey him. If I can't trust his word, then I can't trust the God and I'm not gonna obey the God of his word. Ezekiel chapter eight, if you're able to find that, find that with me. Uh, if you're not, just listen as I read this. Ezekiel chapter number eight. Ezekiel, the spirit of God says to Ezekiel, then in verse number five, then said he unto me, son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north and behold northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said, furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou that what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again and thou shalt see greater abominations. You know, he's saying, look into the, the sanctuary, look into the temple. I want, you to, I want you to see something, Ezekiel. He brings Ezekiel in verse number seven, he brings Ezekiel to a door of the court. Ezekiel looks in and behold a hole in the wall. So picture, if you would, he says, Ezekiel, all these abominations are taking place outside. I'm gonna bring you to the sanctuary I'm gonna bring you to the house of God. I'm gonna bring you to the place of God and I'm gonna bring you to the door. And I want you to look in this door. I want you to see what nobody else sees. Then he said unto me, son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold a door. And he said unto me, go in and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw and behold every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And so picture this, he comes to the house of God and all over the walls of the house of God, nobody thinks they could see this, but all over the walls, there's all these other gods. And there stood before them 70 men of ancient of the house of Israel in the midst of them stood Jezniah, the son of Zaphan, and every man his censer in his hand and a thick cloud of incense went up. What were they doing? He said, these 70 men were worshiping these other gods in the house of God. Then he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. You know what he's saying? This is what they want to do. This is what's going on in their mind. And this is what they say. The Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. You see, if Satan can get you to doubt God, then you won't obey God. 
You know what they're saying in verse number 12? God doesn't see us. I don't have to be obedient. He doesn't see us. He doesn't care what we do. Oh, but Jeremiah 17, 7, the prophet Jeremiah said, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and when, whence hope the Lord is, God is with you. What you need to understand, it doesn't matter the situation you find yourself in. It doesn't matter, Gideon, that you find yourself in a place where the Midianites are strong. God is with you. And listen to me, I say to you, church member, Christian today, I don't care where you find yourself. You know what the word of God says? God is with you. Now, Satan, Baal, the spirit of Baal will cause you to doubt God and doubt his word. And therefore, you don't need to obey God and you walk away from the things of God, living however you want to live. And God says, that's the spirit of Baal. That's the spirit of rebellion. And that's why judgment has come. What he says is, I want you to trust me and I want you to be obedient to me. You know what all we need to know? That God is with us that God does care. And lastly, my time is gone, but look with me in verse number 25 of the book of Judges. What does he ask him to do? I don't have my time to develop this point, but to simply see this and you let the spirit of God lead you here. What he says to Gideon is this, I want you to sacrifice, but before you do, I want you to throw down all the altars to Baal. I want you to cut down the grove that's by it. The grove is where all the sin took place, where all the, 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 the perversion took place, where all the filth took place. He says, I, I want you to cut this down. I want you to get back to worshiping me. I would say for us, church, maybe some need to evaluate their life. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? I mean, do you truly trust him? I'm not talking about, do you trust him when everything's good? I don't know what you're going through today, but do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to be obedient to him? Or are you looking in his word, doubting, does he care? Is this true? Can I depend upon this? Gideon, he says, I want you to trust me. I want you to be obedient to me. And I want you to cast down any idol that you're worshiping. I want you to cleanse your life. I want you to get rid of these things. These things your father set up. These are in your house. I want you to go in and I want you to remove these things. And, and I'm not asking you to just come in and, and keep them there and worship me next to this. No, what he said is I want you to clear these things out. I want you to get rid of anything that is an abomination to me, anything that causes you not to trust me, anything that would cause you not to be obedient to me. Get rid of these things and build up an altar to me and get back to where you originally were. Don't worship things. Don't worship possessions. Don't put your faith in something that's going to draw your confidence away from God. Put your faith back where it belongs. Put your faith in God. Put your trust in him. Put your dependence on him. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is trustworthy. Trust him today doesn't matter what problem you're facing. Be obedient to God's word. It doesn't matter how old this book is. It doesn't matter what people say about this book. It doesn't matter that people say it's an outdated book and it's not God's book. It was written by man. The, the reality is this. We know the truth. This is God's word. It's his love letter to mankind. Let's obey it and commit to doing it and remove that grove, remove that altar, that foundation that's being built in our heart 
that's drawing us away from God. If there's anything in your life that's drawing you away from God, you need to get rid of that and build back that altar and worship him once again.